0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 465. Terry Miller, along with Johnny V.
1: Yes, w- along with Johnny V. Every week, Terry, I'm here. Someone's got to push the buttons.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, most of the time it's you, and most of the time it's me. But here we are tonight, and uh, wow, coming off of a silver event this past weekend, and now heading into a four-day Elite Plus. Yeah, maybe that's the tour. It's not a playoff. I think I just called it a playoff in my Instagram post. I can't keep them all straight. It's an Elite Plus.
1: It's an Elite Plus event and part of the new Unified series.
2: Ah, okay. Uh super easy i will keep this all straight and easy. Uh not a problem whatsoever for me. Uh Elite plus generally means what, Johnny? Elite plus
1: means that the points are doubled and it's like you get like 125% or some crap. I don't know. Yeah, I believe you get 100 100 No, I believe it's like 150. I think it's 150%. Think it's 150 points. Sure. And as far as the broadcast goes there's usually a companion broadcast that goes along with the Elite series. I can't for certain say if that's what's happening this weekend. I don't I don't Actually I don't believe there is because of the split events. Uh the split mm. divisions, excuse me, where we have w- the women who are playing Sunset Hills and Northwood blue black. That sounds right? one of the Northwood event, one of the Northwood courses, and the men who are playing Northwood Black and Eureka. So because our resources are split as they are, then it's going to be a little bit more difficult to give you the companion broadcast. But I, don't quote me on that because I don't know. Um, mm. It turns out, something I haven't even told you, Terry, I'm back in the Uh-oh. seat this weekend. So I will be doing what? the broadcast. I will be doing the broadcast for Ledgestone. Good
2: thing I'm coming to you for all the questions <laughs> and answers
1: then, because hey you're up on it. I'm going to sit down on Thursday, probably after a meeting we have <clears throat> tomorrow or something, and start pushing some buttons Thursday afternoon. All right. I, I was in last week, and then I got a call that I was probably out, and then I got a call that I was probably back in. It's a crazy uh, wild. The Pro Tour is nuts, but uh, you know what? They're nuts just to have do us in general. You. They're nuts to have us in general, let's be honest.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, So, nonetheless, uh, yeah. yeah, as you can tell, Johnny V's on top of all the details, as am I. But uh, this weekend, four rounds taking place, MPO and FPO. Like you said, uh, we're going to be seeing action over at the Northwood course and then also at Sunset and at the Eureka Temp course. And I don't know where I heard this, Johnny, and I was just looking on UDisc. Unfortunately, I can't get confirmation This I should also get figured out in the next day or two. My understanding, somebody told me recently that it's a one or an ABBA format in terms of the courses that are getting played as opposed to like ABAB or AABB. It's going to go ABBA. Have you heard the same? No, I don't care. Traditionally, that's what I I heard somewhere. I'm hoping I'll, I'll somehow, hopefully I show up to the right course on the right day. But uh, who, who knows? Um, Traditionally, what, for the
1: FPO, they've played Sunset Hills back to back because I believe that the golf course usually wanted, they wanted to kind of keep that grouped up. And then you can reuse the assets, move the assets somewhere else after the uh, second round at sunset. Then they go to another course. But I don't know. Honestly, I, I have not heard. I could probably maybe look it up somewhere, but let's be honest. That would uh, if you know a somewhere
2: where to look it up, that would be great. Um, because I went to Udisc right now and because it's just so early in the week, it's not fully listed out there. I see information for the Finnish nationals out there on Udisc. So make sure you're following along with that August 3rd through the 6th, but I do not see the official information for the Ledgestone, uh, details. So hopefully at some point, like I said, I'll figure out which course I need to be at on which given day. Either way, I guess you're sitting in the same seat regardless of what course they're at. Correct. Need it doesn't so matter much.
1: to me where the signal comes from as long as the signal you can't stop the signal as they say.
2: Can't stop the signal? Okay. No, no that's not how it goes. Well, today. it's a sci-fi joke. No. Mm. I don't know. I was well, okay. I mean, we, we all have our different ways to go about this. <laughs> so um, that's what's going to be taking place this weekend. I don't know. We may or may not get any additional updates. Maybe they'll my phone will blow up with some uh, details and updates as the day goes on. I know that they have a ton of stuff stuff scheduled for this weekend. Uh And really, this event has been no surprise in the fact that we've seen it, I don't want to say model entirely off of what we saw largely taking place over at the GBO for quite a few years, but there's a lot of similarities that have been pulled in that have helped grow this to be one of the largest attended tournaments that you see that takes place. Of course, there's the AMS and the pros that create that large attendance number, just like we saw for a number of years over at the GBO. You're seeing, I think there's when it's all said and done, I think there is in 10 flex starts that are going to be taking place. Let me (laughs) see if I can pull up a schedule. I think there's going to be 10 different flex starts going on. There's multiple nights of fly Mart. There's going to be tournament pro shops. There's limited release. Uh, discs and signings that will take place. There's a Discraft Players Clinic at Lake Eureka with Chandler Fry and Missy Gannon. I'm reading that. I'm reading Die Academies, uh, which is something that we've seen before. We've seen, uh, there's a CTP contest against Andrew Presnell, who we'll talk about more in a moment. Ice Cream Socials, Play with the Champs exhibition, uh, yeah, just constant, all these things virtual poker night, uh, St. Jude dunk tank, um, Fly Marts, pizza parties, band performance, escape room, Eagles Wings Chapel service. Uh, just, just, it sounds like if non-stop. you're there
1: early, there's plenty to do.
2: Yeah, and early and throughout the entire week. I mean, I'm reading off, I mean, some of the Flex starts started in the last day or two and are continuing to happen uh, throughout the entire week. And then I'm also seeing so many of these other things that are taking place all week long. Uh, Like I said, I believe there's two separate nights of fly marts that are taking place as well. So all of this stuff taking place all uh, over here. I'm looking at ledgestoneopen.com. That's where you can find more information. So what really matters first, though, is we go back in time, just a few days, this silver event that took place. It looks like it was an abridged one, and maybe they needed a bridge or two. Out there, heyo! Uh, we saw the silver series taking place. The Mid America Open. Andrew Presnell, your champion in playoff fashion. Johnny, let's talk MPO first, since I uh, already queued us up for it that way.
1: Certainly, uh, Andrew Presnell brought his game, so to speak, to the Mid America Open to win this one in a playoff with Gannon Burr. Kind of a shocking playoff, if you watched it. Uh, Gannon had a twenty footer to push. And on the yeah on the playoff hole, which I believe was whole, was, did they play hole 18? They might have played hole 18.
2: No, or, I don't think that was 18.
1: Was it not 18? It was maybe it was hole one. Either way.
2: No, I think it was three uh, or four or something.
1: Eh, whatever. Either way, um, he had a chance to win. I, I, <laughs> the funny thing is I kind of watched it out of the corner of my eye. I, once I got to the playoff, I kind of sat down. And to see Gannon just gank what was more or less a 20 to 25 footer is not something that we normally see Gannon do. He's He's been there in those clutch positions. He knows he's one of those guys that everyone always says, you know, you got to learn how to win. You got to learn how to win. He knows how to win. And now he knows how to choke it away as well. <laughs> so uh, Gannon just, you know, giving this one to Presnell in the playoff was a little surprising, but congratulations to both of them. A hard-fought battle. Um, Prez just really hung around that whole third round, got to the end of the course, and then just cleaned up on holes 14 through 18. He birdied the last five, or Gannon only got two of the last five. So it, it was a it was a real fun battle to kind of keep on in the background. Uh, third place by three strokes was one Kyle Klein. Fourth place was Chandler Kramer. Tied for fifth place, Joey Buckets, Joseph Anderson, and Nico LoCastro. Tied for seventh, Chris Clemenade and Joel Freeman. Ninth place, Cole Ridalin and a... Geez, I'm not even going to bother. There's like a five-way tie for 10th. I'm not going to count them. I don't care. Bunch of people. Bunch of people.
2: Okay. Fair so, enough. And yes, as yep. the board pointed out, uh, worth noting, the playoff did, now that I go out to you, this the playoff did start on hole one. You were right, Johnny. Okay. Uh, the par five, hole number one, it was one, two, then three, and then on repeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, would have been the playoff holes. But as you mentioned, went just the single hole. Uh, he, my question is yes, Gannon missed, choked, whatever you want to call it. He, he ganked a 20.
1: He even wrote, I saw a picture on on uh, Instagram <laughs> of a signature that he signed for some gentleman that more said, I think it said something like the least clutch player yeah. or something and had it Yeah, signed. something like that.
2: <laughs> so my question <laughs> is, does, and I, I hate to use the word hope, but does that just maybe prove or give others hope to show that these players are still human Mm -hmm. like of course you expect Gannon to make that we expect most of our players in most situations to step up and make that Uh, there is a playoff that it it is no longer hole 17 where it's like oh this could give somebody an advantage or a stroke or whatever this is literally obviously to push the playoff it's sudden death so there's more pressure than than any other 20 footer he really had that round Mm -hmm does this just prove that no matter how good you are you you can still miss a putt
1: yeah that
2: definitely I proves mean, that i i just i i think about the expectations that we put on players and of course they are professionals and they are the best in the world and and time and time again However, I I just you look at that scenario in a playoff, even with, you know, one of the literally the best player, one of the best players in the world. And, um, yeah, just doesn't uh, doesn't find the bottom of the bucket and uh, surprising to see it end in that in that particular fashion. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. Stan man uh, on our board says it was a flinchy putt. It was kind of a weird to see. I felt like he went a little faster than he normally does when I saw it. So only 28 (laughs) seconds. He's been better, Terry Miller. Don't give the kid all a hard right, time. Right. Um twenty six seconds. But <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh he he did go a little bit faster than I think his routine normally sets up for, and maybe that accounted for it. But sure. ulti- but ultimately, like you said, human can miss these these easy ones that you know you and I will miss regularly as well, and everyone out on our board. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, us missing them, n- not nearly as big of a deal, but uh, nonetheless, uh, congratulations, Andrew. Um, n- nothing like getting it done right away rather than uh, seeing how long something like that could go. When you have two players that are, are on, that have been you know dialed in pretty much throughout the weekend, you just think, you start thinking about daylight, you're thinking about the long weekend that it's been, the play, the conditions, everything else, and then to see it get all wrapped up in the first uh, hole. Um I guess well, <laughs> good for some, not so much for others, but yeah, especially on a weekend
1: that was flooded, so to speak, with weather delays and yeah, and well, rain uh, and thunderstorms, lightning it you know if you if you look at the m p o scores for round two, there are no scores for one, two, and three, or eighteen.
2: Yeah, and I was going to ask you to elaborate on that because I saw again a post on social media about an abbreviated and abridged course or abbreviated course. Uh what what ultimately uh as you're saying there what was the decision? I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm just looking uh, basically at Basically they Gary. said, <laughs> oh, did the, basically they they made an announcement at some point. Again, you and I were both busy doing other things throughout the weekend, so we weren't intimately involved, but they did make a post due to the inclement weather due to the delays and such that the round would not include those particular holes. And those and, are the
1: longest holes. Those are the ones that take some of the most time.
2: Well, and it wasn't just so much the time as I think it was the, the, the actual conditions and the rain and the flooding, which then brings up a whole other conversation that we do not need to beat to death. However, it continues to get talked about as every time we've had events here, it feels like there's been some kind of issue. In fact, this this entire event was moved a few years ago Mm -hmm. uh, as we were trying to host it It ended up getting moved to an entirely different course because this course has a tendency even though it's rated as one of the top courses in the world it has a tendency that as soon as it seems uh, as much as a raindrop i think that it ultimately floods and that is you know another part of the conversation that was had throughout the weekend i don't have any magic solution for that It's Uh, you know that if that's the way the course was designed but yet it plays so great but yet we have this threat Um, I don't know if there's a perfect time of year you know people always say well I mean if it could rain literally anytime and if rain impacts it this greatly I don't know what you're going to do about it because as you and I both know Mm. it could rain on any given weekend
1: I'm thinking like mid-December would be a great Mm. time no rain okay are probably gonna get a little snow but I mean, that's
2: that I mean, that's an option.
1: I do think that that is one of the reasons why this course is really being held back from an elite series event. You just you I don't mind this as a silver event, but you can't count on perfect weather. Without some sort of backup plan, everybody knows how this course is. Like you said, great course, unfortunate uh, flooding issues. You can't put an elite series event here. You just can't not with it not not with these type of conditions. Not unless you plan on putting a giant tent over the course. Last time I checked, I don't think we carry that big of a tent.
2: Ooh, uh, I don't know. Sounds like that is a challenge to Sean Jack to go out there and find a potential <laughs> so, sponsorship.
1: And, and again, uh, if this is a silver thing. event for the rest uh, for the remaining future, I'm okay with that. The fact that it was cut short—that you know, you, you, we we had an abbreviated second round. Eh, whatever. You know. I I don't know. Really I mean, of course, it's it's it.
2: not ideal and you don't want any event of any kind cut short. And as Dylan says on the board, Dylan, I was of course being a little hyperbolic when I said it got a raindrop. I understand he said it was definitely more than one raindrop was a crazy big storm. And and let's be real, there's plenty of courses. I I'm not trying to pick on this course in particular. There are plenty of courses that if obviously you have some crazy weather roll through, almost no matter what, you're gonna have issues on the course. That's that's not You know that's not unique to this course. However, with that being said, this course is more susceptible uh, and gets challenged by rain and the conditions more quickly than most courses. But again, when it when it rains, it rains, Uh, and it's not just the flooding. Although
1: that is bad, it is also it also gets muddy and a little bit of and a little dangerous moving up and down those hills. It it overall is a tough position to be in
2: yeah and and no shock it it seemed as if again by the judging by social media it seemed as if the heat uh was not Mm. friendly either pushing into the triple digits along with some midwestern humidity so welcome to the summer of 2023 that's kind of the yeah story it's been kind of the theme so let's talk fpo though it looked like a great battle including an insane start by one alexis mundahano However, yeah, she comes. She comes out and shoots a on.
1: course record, nine under par that first round. Just amazing putting, phenomenal drives. As it usually takes to shoot a course record, she was crushing the field. She was, I think, she had like a six or seven stroke lead on the entire field after the first round. Now, as we know, with tradition, <laughs> it's. Not unusual in FBO to see kind of some big swings, depending on how certain players are playing. But Alexis, she, the the crowd caught up. The crowd caught up after the second round. Um, On comes out with a seven under par, and Alexis shoots an even. Now, last year, I think the course record was like a two under. And so this year Mm -hmm. it was a seven under, or I'm sorry, the nine under. Nine. And the course played, my understanding was, there was four different T-pads, and someone had said statistically it plays about a stroke and a half to maybe two and a half strokes easier. So Alexis, regardless, had a phenomenal run. I think it was like a 1030 mm-hmm. rated round. Two. 1032, yeah, 1030, something along 1030, those. So can't take anything mm-hmm. away from her at all uh, with that round, and a, a round you won't be forgotten anytime soon. But, of course, then Own Goggins comes out and shoots a seven. Lisa Fakus with a five in that second round. Holland Hanley comes out in the second round and ties the course record with a nine down, lighting up the back nine. And then we get to round three, and it is a tight, tight battle going into the final hole. It looked like it was tied with Owen Scoggins and Alexis Mondajano. Hole 18, Alexis takes a seven, which is a double bogey. Owen takes a par. And wins by two strokes. So it came down to the final hole. Uh, At that point, Cat Merch was the next closest, sitting at nine under par uh, after the final 18. And then Lisa Fakus tied with that. Uh, Valerie Mondajano shoots a one under par with Holland Hanley. Holland, who came and shot a two over after shooting a nine down. That's what this type of course can do to you when it's wooded like this. If you're off a little bit, there are some huge swings that your score can take. So. The fact that uh, I would say Alexis and own, I mean, Alexis had that tough second round, but came back again with a four under own relatively consistent, just seemed to get better and better. Congratulations to own Scoggins on her second. I believe it's her second silver event. Mm, that it, sounds it, about right. It might be. I mean, I know she won the match play event a couple of years ago, two years ago, yet yeah, last yeah, year, last year,
2: last year, or was that? that? No, I think it was her first ever. Is it her? Is it her first <laughs> ever? It's funny how much I just rely on the uh, the graphics that get posted. But I believe oh, yeah. it, it was her, her first ever silver. Silver. Okay. Yeah, her first silver event.
1: I thought she had so. one more in the bag a couple of years ago, but obviously no, I'm, I'm wrong. Uh, and
2: again, you like you said, you you think about a ten thousand dollar check that was won at the mm-hmm. match play event last year that can easily muddy the waters, and then she's destroying everything she does. <laughs> Uh, practically when it comes to the uh, master's division so it's it's easy to get caught up when you see someone like her win and you have to think about well what event did she you know did she win at just because she's when she's not winning uh, usually in the master's division uh, she's taking you know a top spot in the FPO division so it's dare I say easy to get confused But yeah, uh, Alexis and Holland, as you said, both with those nine unders uh, were the course records, and uh, first round by Alexis, I think, was officially rated 10, unofficially still rated 1031. All right.
1: And what was Holland's second round? Nothing you can complain
2: about. Uh, Holland, when she shot the same score, is rated 1021. So the course overall played a little bit easier on that second round. Therefore, her 59 was rated 1021, uh, which, as most people would you know, also do some of the math. You're talking about 10 points. It sounds like a ton, but it typically is roughly about one stroke. Uh, And that's anywhere from seven to 12. And that could be,
1: obviously that's based on how the rest of the field plays. If the course, correct. You know, the rain and whatnot could have caused the course to play a little bit different, a little more difficult footing and whatnot, which is why that uh, one nine down is better rated than another nine down. So Either way, congratulations Uh, to own Scoggins on her silver event. win. couldn't happen to a nicer person. I thought I, uh, I don't want to get you riled up here, Terry. I liked the trophies that they had these little paddles. mm -hmm. Um, It felt slightly again. I don't care if they were $6 paddles or $200 paddles. I like the concept. This course kind of has a, to me, it fits right in with the theme of a little bit of flooding and water. Mm -hmm. that This course has. And I, I just like the unique trophies, and it's a silver event, so I don't, I don't really have a, I don't have a high expectation on almost any event. But I, other than worlds, I always want the worlds trophies to be really cool. But for the most part, I'm fine with, I'm fine with this.
2: Yeah, I it was good. I, seems practical. Uh, a lot of our, a lot of our players uh, do things outdoors, like kayaking and paddleboarding and canoeing. Maybe, maybe they'll take to it, or maybe it'll just get mounted. I'm not sure. Uh, where own will uh, make well, best I, uh, most use of it, but I hope on the way to Ledgestone, own passes
1: the Mondahano vehicle and takes the ore and just, just <laughs> in her car as she's driving by <laughs> is pretending to ore. It's not her style, but I still think it would be funny.
2: Uh, uh, the, the trash talking is her style, but uh, yeah, that would that would have to set up perfectly in order to make it happen. But it would be a they're all going to the moment. same place. Just have my her just, yeah, just <laughs> exactly just have her. Uh, uh go go on past her it would be pretty funny so uh very cool well uh and then as the board was talking about own one the um excuse me the challenge echo hill a year yeah. a couple of years ago but i was just double checking was that a silver that, event at the time
1: i don't know if that was a silver event at the time because is that the one i know be it's Jen been Allen? like
2: there and then it's been in a it's yeah again um yeah it sometimes gets a little wrapped up in confusing it's hard it's, it's hard, hard to, to remember last,
1: what is you know, and isn't silver events these a, days
2: <laughs> uh yes <clears throat> uh yeah and just to think of the drama there too like you mentioned coming all the way down to the last hole i mean that mm-hmm. being the deciding factor they had both finished out pretty strong uh own had gotten three out of the last four holes alexis had gotten two out of the last four holes so their battle was pretty close and then when it was all said and done uh, you know the deciding factor, so nice work. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that jumped out at me in terms of the weekend there. Um, the only other thing that I think about is uh another one of our competitors she wasn't she wasn't there uh but Emily Beach has kind of officially come out and talked a little bit about her uh you know how she had fallen earlier in the year and had hurt her hip. And how that's something that she's just basically keeping an eye on and how she's going to try and power through it throughout the rest of the year. That was some of the other FPO news that I was thinking of uh, as I was scrolling down this list. So she was not in this event, but uh, very much taking into consideration where and when she's going to be playing as she's trying to close out her 2023 campaign as well.
1: And some MPO news that came out, I believe it was after our podcast last week. I don't remember talking about it. Paul McBeth withdrawing from the Ledge Stone. He obviously with his shoulder, shoulder injury, he suffered over in Europe. He's definitely dropping out of Ledgestone. And he said it feels he thinks it's a three to four week uh, downtime. So my guess is we may not see him until Worlds.
2: Yeah, and uh, I'm going to give a semi Smashbox exclusive, uh, and I I hope she's okay with me sharing this. I I, I had asked Hannah about this because we were talking about some other stuff today uh she did she confirmed of like you just said that he wouldn't be here for ledgestone competitively however i know there was a hope that he'd still be here uh, in a in a promotional aspect and it sounds like he will be uh doing some stuff promotion wise Uh, of course plenty of fans and people want to see him interact with him so (laughs) he he better be out there spotting uh (laughs) that's a good call he better be out there spotting for like uh, uh you know ma4 or, or uh yeah. you know i don't know fa1 it doesn't matter i want to see him out somewhere on one of the courses spotting i think and that would don't that give him would be an hilarious. easy Just hole pick, yeah pick the don't easy, give him an easy where, hole where there's like, like sunset no with a little bit of water <laughs> no no you put him out like yeah. on a difficult horse uh course like uh uh Megiddo or or some of these other courses where like he has to actually like hustle around a little bit that would be epic uh, and that would almost match when we saw Scott Stokely spotting at the 99 Worlds in mm-hmm. Kansas City. Again, another story for another day. Uh, but it, Paul yeah. will be here, and he is working with, uh, with Seth of Disc Golf Strong and a uh, personal uh, physical therapist. So the, they're all talking and trying to get things going. I'm just trying to paraphrase what she sent me. Uh, he does hope to be back by Worlds. Um, he thinks that D glow may be too big of a course, but, uh, again, he'll likely be there from a, a, uh, promotional standpoint, hopefully. And, uh, she said, I would describe his shoulder as angry. Hmm. Uh, things need to calm down and have a little time to repair for it. So, um, it's not a big, serious injury, but if it's not treated efficiently and cared for, it could be so. I hope that was public knowledge, Hannah. It seemed pretty much like it would be. Uh, or it could be. <laughs> so uh that's the direct update I got literally just minutes ago. So we do a- seriously appreciate the uh the additional insight. And we, and we do wish the best for Paul. We want to see him
1: seen. we want to see him at the top of his game, uh, especially coming into worlds. I was I was picking up my son from uh College for Kids yesterday, and we were driving, and I was he was asking me something about the disc golf and and we were talking about Paul and world championships. And he's like, doesn't Paul have like five? I'm like, six. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. I said, and the other four, he didn't take worse than second. And Mason was like, seriously? He's been in the top 10 for, I'm like, yeah, 10 years. He's like, wow, that's like really good, huh? I'm like, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> so I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to see him be able to at least attempt to continue that streak.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It uh, sounds like oh, hopefully a little rest and recovery. Um, yeah. It it doesn't sound like something I'd want to be dealing with, but clearly it it's great that it can be addressed in the sense that it could be um, as opposed to hearing some of our other players who have talked about surgeries and, and all the other things that, you know, have plagued some of our competitors throughout the year. So I guess we'll see how things go. But, Uh, looking forward to seeing, and I just mentioned all those things that are taking place this week out at Ledgestone. One of the cool things that I know is happening tomorrow afternoon, and again if I could pull up a text or two, tomorrow afternoon uh, one of the big fan favorites that's been happening out here for years at this event is the chance to play with the pros that has then a a charity attached to it, and if I can find the details real quick, I wanted to talk about who we're going to see. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, Looks like Uh, Paige Hsu, who's filling in for Paige Pierce, obviously due to her injury. But Paige Hsu will be in attendance uh, along with Simon Lazat, Matt Oram, Anthony Barella, and then also filling in from time to time, I guess, is Ben Askren. So that's all taking place tomorrow afternoon over over at Sunset Hills. I think it's going to be right around 4 o'clock shortly after the press conference wraps up. So uh, it's the play with the champs. I'm going to be out there. Acting somewhat as an MC and trying to hurt all the cats and pull out the names uh, to match them up with those individual players, and then uh, they go ahead and play a hole. And then when that's done, we draw new names, and then they uh, play again. And this is all benefiting uh, St. Jude and other um, other uh, charities and fundraisers, as they've been doing. I think I saw on the website that this event has now put together or and contributed something like. Four hundred and fifty or five hundred and fifty thousand dollars in charitable charitable donations since uh, its inception, a little over ten years ago, which is obviously insane. It so. was
1: always one of Nate's big pushes, uh, Saint Jude specifically, but I know there's been other, uh,
2: yeah, yeah, other the things they donated Beth to. Foundation, then, along with other, yeah, there's been a, a handful that it's been spread out to. I believe Edge has been uh somewhat of a recipient and uh, again if i dug around on the website i could find them but i think there was as many as five different uh organizations that had benefited last year alone it's pretty crazy all right uh i had something else i was going to go to right after that that i'm completely spacing on uh real quick talk oh, let's about Northwoods. talk a little bit as say someone yeah, did confirm it's
1: ABBA uh oh, course, they're going to be uh Eureka northwood northwood, Eureka, which would mean that the f p o is probably playing northwood sunset sunset, Northwood, which makes sense, as I said before, to group the two sunset together um so that you're not spreading out the time on the golf course i'm I'm sure the golf course doesn't want. us on and off on and off to to keep it together so there's that and then also someone brings up a question about the cell signal in northwood black Uh, you'll have to forgive me because i don't have all of the details but my understanding is that the pro tour is going to be trying something um if you're familiar with cbrs it is like a private cell provider so you're not like you know you can literally build your own cell network so you're not using Verizon, you're not using Sprint, you're using your own private uh, cell network. And I believe there is some efforts to help to put those out, as we're calling them, uh, the cheeseburgers, the CBRS, cheeseburgers. Mm. Um, that Hopefully that they can help assist some of the signal in some of the early spots of Northwood Black. I, I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen results. I haven't seen... Uh, any sort of chitter-chatter about it, but that's my understanding.
2: Uh, I do believe that some of this was implemented. Again, these are decisions and things that are above our pay grade at the moment, but I believe some of this was used or implemented in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. All right. Uh, As we're, uh, with relation to that, let's move on. Another thing, and I guess this ties somewhat indirectly our tournament director for the weekend, of course, being Nate Heinold. Well, Nate Heinold, along with Jeff Hungerford, looks like have been both reelected to the PDGA Board of Directors. And I'm looking at that on the PDGA website, on the PDGA news area. Uh, PDGA Europe Board of Directors is Krister Christensen, along with uh, Leif Espen. And... Uh Rika Salman uh, was also elected out of Norway, or excuse me, out of Finland. And then it goes on to list all the uh, state coordinators and provincial coordinators as well. So all those, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put that in the chat for anyone that does want to look at it. Uh, there is a link to it there. So. Uh, So Jeff Hungerford and Nate Heinold, who were already serving on the board, were essentially reelected. And then the other big note and takeaway of that, not only thank you to all of the people that, of course, put their their hat in the ring, all the people that, you know, went through the effort of campaigning and filling out the surveys and answering questions and doing additional podcasts and interviews and write-ups, all that stuff. So thank you to all of those people. Also seeing, I think, the big takeaway number, though, is 14. 14.89 Point eight nine is what I saw for the number. Fourteen point eight nine percent of less our less than fifteen percent voting body turned out.
1: Of our voting body. So once again, if you I saw somebody on one of the social medias who was upset at some of the results and they were like, Ugh, I'm not gonna renew next year, and someone goes, Cool, then you don't get to vote. Mm. <laughs> and and they, they, and it was kind of like oh yeah that's right you know you're unhappy if you're unhappy with the result or happy with the result I don't care either way if you're unhappy with the result and it causes you to not renew with the PDGA I, I can't help you because you're not going to be able to vote and you're not going to be able to use your vote to make any sort of change I do wish we we could see that uh, that number go up I would mm-hmm. love to see us hit twenty to twenty five percent in the next couple of years it just really feels like we're stuck in those teens and we're not getting past it. And I don't know why particularly that is, if it's just that there are so many players that really don't have, that don't care about the bigger picture of the sport and are more local players that they feel like, you know, their local elections really are the ones that uh, affect them the most. I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I hope that we can find a way to start to push up those numbers.
2: I, I, I couldn't agree more. There and and maybe that it's just a testament. I th- I would like to, if you're looking at it from a very optimistic standpoint, I think that's exact. That's one of the ways you could pinpoint it and say is, by and large, a lot of our competitors want to just simply play, and they're not even concerning themselves with any of. I'll put in air quotes the any of the politics or any of the direction. They just they enjoy playing. They maybe they're probably playing in sanctioned events uh, as one of their major member benefits. They enjoy playing. They enjoy getting a rating and having a competitive spirit, along with the rules of which are whatever they are that are laid out. And outside of that, they're just not too caught up in it. I mean, and I think some of it is that from the voters perspective,
1: it's a lot of effort to go out and, Find out about all the candidates. I know, I know. It's it's really easy to vote. It's a link in your email. It's I was like just going to say
2: that's where I thought you were going. No, no, I'm no. Like literally, it's like four <laughs> no. clicks of buttons. I, I think like people click, really click, 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 really voted.
1: feel that it's an effort to get to know the candidates, even though it's out there. Uh, true, there there are campaign statements linked right into mm-hmm. the voting block. There is the PDGA podcast that has gone out and done mm-hmm. multiple interviews with some of the players or some of the uh, candidates. But that is, that is effort. If you really want to know the Uh, candidates, you're talking five, six, seven hours of research, whether, I mean, if you really want to kind of narrow it down to the people who you, and you want to get the full picture, I can understand how daunting that might seem, but yeah. and, And it, it honestly, I know it sounds silly. It does feel like a lot of work for a two year election cycle. And compare that to uh, our, our national elections where, you know, you you kind of know which side of the line you stand on, red or blue. And it, if you are undecided, they're throwing ads in your face. We don't get that in the PDGA. You're, you don't see you don't go U UDisc and see an ad with <laughs> Jeff Hungerford's face out there going like, hey, vote I for me. This message, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, he, yeah. Jeff Hungerford isn't dropping things like. Nate Heinold doesn't like children, you know, you know, don't <laughs> vote for me or so, anything like that. We don't see these type of, uh, election advertisements like you do in the national scale. So maybe it feels yeah. harder to, to make a decision. So a lot of people just don't, which is unfortunate because obviously you voted, I voted probably most of the people on the, on our board are good smashies and good PDGA representatives. And hopefully they voted as well.
2: Yeah. I, I- and if you make it a pro, I was going to say, make it your prerogative to not vote, that's, I can accept that. I'm fine with that as well. I'm just hoping that you're not first in line to then complain. Your complaint or your suggestions ring so much louder and more clearly when you've at least also gone ahead and put forth the effort to vote. I mean, you, everybody can complain, but I'm going to be, far more likely to listen to somebody that's actually put in a little bit of effort and actually gone out and done the diligence of voting uh, to back up whatever their complaint might be. Cause I feel like that's the minimum you need to do is to at least cast a vote. You can complain your person didn't win or that things are going to be this way or that way or whatever, but you have to at least voice your opinion in that official capacity of putting in a vote in order for me to take you that much more seriously so regardless it's done it's complete for now and uh yeah i guess uh first of all congratulations like i said i do appreciate anyone that puts themselves out there win lose or draw some of these people have Mm -hmm. now uh you know put themselves out there more than once and that probably has to get a little bit discouraging i mean I guess for, I, I don't know I guess every election you know you can feel a little bit of that uh discouraged uh no matter how many times that you've run but yeah, when it's all said and done, thank you to all of those volunteers. I think that's another thing that gets lost in this. This is a volunteer position that um is <laughs> for as little uh return as you probably get out of it uh it it, it I can understand how it doesn't seem worth it to most people to even possibly be on the board and to deal with the ridicule and everything that goes along with it. So thanks to everyone and congrats to all the provincial and state coordinators, which uh, exactly about half of are voted on every year. So I know for instance, Wisconsin this year, Mike Harrington's our state coordinator now again, Uh, next year, he, I mean, he's the state coordinator for two years along with the other 25 or so that were listed today. Uh, and then obviously the other half are voting. So you don't have all 50 as a turnover in a given year. Uh, you have 25 per year. So, All right. Uh, it's people talking about loving volunteers. I know uh, what was really interesting for me is last night, Johnny, I went to, I have daughters that are now in, I don't know, seventh and ninth grade. And so last night I went to our local, my local school district's, I will say annual required (laughs) sports meeting. Oh yeah, and to to have all the parents, so to speak, in there along with all the kids to talk about all the sports and and athletics that take place in our in our little community, and then to then talk uh, everything, of course, about officiating to rules, to organizations, to physicals, and everything in between. Uh, players' code of conduct, I think one of the biggest takeaways that I had that I thought was, and I'm sure this is pretty standard across the country uh, in many communities, and I just was trying to think about how it may apply to disc golf or not, was something they very much drove into every single person's head multiple times last night, is that when you're a student-athlete and you're in the stu- in that uh, any of the programs, it said, Your, the student code of conduct is in place from that very moment, 365 days a year, 24-7. And that was just such an interesting perspective because I was thinking about disc golf. And I was thinking about on the course, off the course, at the extracurriculars. And we have rules within the, the, the PDGA competition manual. But I was just, you know, think how we apply that. And of course, NFL and NBA and all those guys also have their policies as to what it basically means to be a representative of either the schools or the athletic program or of a sponsor or whatever, what it means to be that representative when you're within that program and how you are basically beholden to that code of conduct Mm -hmm. 24-7, 365. And then the other big takeaway that I thought was also interesting is another gentleman came in to speak at length about... uh, he basically was talking about uh, likenesses, sponsorships, and things of that nature. And obviously, that landscape has changed considerably in the last few years with regard to what they're doing in colleges, as opposed to what you know they, they didn't do you know a decade ago. And just really giving some warnings and uh, adhering to saying you know there's a big difference between you being recognized as the used bear, which I find hilarious. And a little dating, the bear player of the week, as in like the aspirin, uh, the bear as- uh, player of the week, versus saying, you know, I played well this week, and because I took bear, like, just you know, as as a goofy example, mm-hmm. um, talking about what that means and how strict the Wisconsin policies are when it comes to sponsorships and uh, the use of likeness and image and things of that nature. So, a couple of interesting things that. Clearly with social media and with the way contracts, entertainment and everything has grown as you and I have gotten older throughout all these years, what that looks like in today's landscape versus what it did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And then where some of those crossovers apply to disc golf, because you and I both know as soon as you see a player say or do something that you maybe vehemently disagree with or or think is unbecoming or is unprofessional. How often is the first thing that said, oh, you know, I bet your sponsor would love that. Or I've already sent a message to your sponsor Mm -hmm. about blah, blah, blah. Just kind of interesting when you think about how it applies to disc golf and, and, you know, some similarities that we do or don't find even at a high school sports level. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, Ben says we have our national women's soccer team paid reps. Of our country not acknowledging the national anthem i mean there's all sorts of politics and and again uh there's a million different ways a conversation like that could go i'm we're not here to necessarily have that debate but yeah there's a there's a lot of different ways that uh it can get looked at when you're talking about and you go all the way back to one of the most most well-known in recent history obviously starting with colin kaepernick and uh, and everything that's taken place from there but that i like i said i think that's a, another podcast for another day
1: yeah that's that's a whole discussion that we don't
2: <laughs> and, and and really not not quite as in depth politics as i was looking to go with uh my tangent i was just it was interesting to see what these kids are uh, being warned of being talked about um as they're you know going through something like high school sports and then you think about how what they're doing in a place like Finland or or some of the other really competitive places when you're seeing uh, Hamar, for instance, uh, Fredrickson, mm-hmm. seeing a 14, 15, 16 year old who's out there winning thousands of dollars, uh, you know, and it has multiple sponsors by multiple, uh, you know, disc manufacturers and otherwise. Uh, it's it's all quite uh, incredible. If you think about it.
1: Uh, a couple other little PDGA news before we get into some slightly bigger PDGA news. A competition committee is seeking new members and there's an RFP out there for the 2024 women's global event. So if you're interested in hosting a women's global, there's an RFP out there. And for 2024,
2: and uh, it, I don't know if it's, a, well, it might be hosting. I was going to say, I would also imagine it's probably also to be part of the sponsorship program yes. um, for, for said, because uh, there's going to be hopefully hundreds of women's global's mm-hmm. event, global events taking yep. place. And then uh, I know they're looking for people that might, sponsors that might want to contribute. Prizes, so trophies, players do... packed
1: items, exactly. other items, things like that. So to get the RFP. Yep. Um, and then we can talk real quick about some of the other the, the PDJ news that made a little bit of, I don't say waves yesterday or today. Uh, well, the proposed changes, the proposed rule changes for 2024. I looked over these, and to me, there's not any huge changes, um, in my opinion, at least. Uh, a couple of the big ones: okay. moving obstacles, uh, the players discussed with the committee about. I think clearing out space behind their lie for run-ups that's now allowed. I know there was always these talks mm. of players laying down and trying to clean the footing. Now they can, without any sort of goofy loopholes just clear out a run-up spot scoring everyone in your group is now required to keep score what all all the peeps not just two as we had before but four and it can be digital or analog scoring the td is required to provide a scorecard now that could be a digital scorecard it doesn't have to be a physical mm. scorecard. So the TD can I'm basically bringing the say
2: cheeseburgers out there and providing internet. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah I, my recommendation is grab. If you're a regular tournament player, grab five or six blank scorecards. Cause if, if the TD doesn't necessarily provide a scorecard and I've been guilty of this, um, the last yeah. time, but yeah the last event at Stevens Rock that or uh, standing rocks that I played <laughs> see yeah Stevens Point standing rocks um my phone broke the night before the round i had no way to digitally <laughs> yeah. keep score yeah
2: it, yeah it you at up. all yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly and so I, I i literally felt bad because i kept score the first day and then the second day i couldn't keep digital score so i did keep my own score on a on a piece of paper that i <laughs> actually just ended up throwing away recently and i couldn't keep score the third day or it was a three day i think it was just maybe two day anyway i couldn't keep score for the rounds other than the first round and so i felt yeah. i felt really bad honestly but which is why you keep a scorecard so you can do it analog and not go against the rules anymore so and cuz there's always players that don't want to necessarily keep score now they have to o- other things that yeah. we other things that we see are uh player eligibility you now need to be a pdga member to sign up for a c tier and i saw a lot of griping about this like oh pdga blah blah blah." they created a new d tier so in in response to the c tier option you can still have a d tier which is now more or less our new c tiers where you don't need to be a pdga member to play in the d tier
2: and now if if i recall uh again only because of some of the postings. It seemed as if the challenge to that, though, for the D tier was that it can only be one round.
1: I believe that's true.
2: And so, of course, that, you know, you think about flex starts, you think about smaller tournaments, entry level tournaments, and and this is just a no win situation in the sense that people are constantly talking about why do I pay $50 or $75, wherever the amount is for your membership? Why do I pay that? Where's the benefit to that? And they talk about ratings then talk about you know uh, uh, you know certain standards that are going to be then adhered to at tournaments uh, all of those other types of things that go along with your member benefits if you first sign up then you're getting a disc with your stuff you're getting the magazine so on and so forth now the PDGA which by the way this this has happened before the PDGA is coming and saying hey if you're a member of the organization you
0: in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: Are, are eligible to play in our sanctioned tournaments. And if you're not a member, you don't have that, that right, so to speak, or that privilege. You don't have that temporary privilege to do so. And I remember this was something like this was introduced many years ago. And it also talked about possibly if if there was essentially a a non sanction or I'm sorry, a non-member signed up and a member looking to sign up, it, it was taking precedence of the member unless the non-member became a member. So essentially you had to be a member or you were in threat of getting kicked out of being able to play in the tournament. That was pulled back almost immediately there was it was a very different logistical world mm-hmm. uh technology so on and so forth everything was very different but that was actually pulled back but that event eventually or essentially was saying you need to be a member to play in the event and now here they are all these years later reintroducing it and people are still really some people are really frustrated with it and i guess i i think it's a half full half empty scenario like i look at it as saying i'm paying to be in the PDGA, I'm a current member, and you, let's just take an extreme scenario. You could go to a tournament that maybe offers 72 spots, and how pissed off, for lack of a better term, how pissed off are you when out of 72 spots, you're like looking down the list, you're looking, you're looking, and 28 of them are non are non-members. And you want your three buddies to play who normally play in tournaments, and you're looking and saying, well, wait a minute. What's the point of being a member if they can't even get into this tournament? Now clearly, this isn't going to be some magic silver bullet that's going to end all uh, divisional caps and it's not going to end all uh, you know overall entry caps to tournaments and it's not going to please everybody, but it's giving you that nod as a tournament player that, or excuse me, as a current member to have a further eligibility to be able to play in a tournament when somebody else who's just coming in off the street can't necessarily and then you could turn around and flip that argument you could say that same argument clearly with a different tone and say hey now we're now we're gatekeeping some brand new players that might otherwise want to come dip their toe in the water and i hear that argument and i understand that argument and of course i'm a big fan of introducing new people to the game but i feel like the benefit outweighs the the cost in that sense if somebody doesn't I don't think it's a, absurd to tell someone if they've never played in a tournament before, yeah. hey, just so you know, you know the entry fee for this tournament is $40 to play in an amateur. Let's just say you're an amateur and it's $40. You're going to get a bunch of stuff. However, you have to be a PDGA member to play. If you just word it that way and they know nothing else about disc golf or any, any uh, outside influence beyond that, I don't think that sounds absurd. It doesn't sound crazy at all. Like, I, I guess I, I the, the small stint I had in playing, we'll say, in racquetball when I was playing with some friends, and then I wanted to look into a racquetball tournament. If I wanted to go play in a racquetball tournament and I showed up and they're like, hey, you can't just step on and play. You know, you've never played in a tournament before. You know, you want to get in the low level or an entry level position and you want to play in this first tournament. Well, this is, you know, I don't know, official racquetball sanctioned and there's a 20 or 40 or or $100 fee to that, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I, I wouldn't even bat an eye. I would expect that. So, I don't know. I get it. There's a lot of people that really are saying this is gatekeeping uh, brand new people from possibly playing in tournaments. I, I, I understand that argument as a guy who's run hundreds of tournaments, but I also feel like the, the benefit to the, the current members outweighs the gatekeeping, so to speak, that you think that would happen to the brand new member. What do you think, Johnny? I agree with all of
1: that. Again, I can understand people complaining about the gatekeeping. I, I'll be curious to see how many D-tier events we see. It really is probably going to depend on your area of the country. If your C-tiers, sure. are, if your C-tiers are filling up with PDGA players, maybe it, maybe you guys need to have d tiers in place if they're not filling up with p d g a members I, do you do you do you even need d tiers i mean i think every location could probably stand to have some d tiers just to bring in new players, but you can sign up for the p d g a on the spot I know it's expensive for if to talk- to tell somebody you have to do that um to play an event but I don't know. And Terry, you need to stop moving around, Terra Bear. Keep, oh, yeah? keep shifting your keep shifting
2: your picture up moving, and down. Am like, I moving closer? <laughs> yeah. Like it's
1: like up and down. Suddenly you're like way up to the top and then down, then your chins underneath yeah, of the thing. I, I was <laughs> leaning
2: forward like this. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean sorry.
1: obviously you need to just look at your local area and determine whether or not there is a lot of amateurs. I say amateurs, a lot of non pdgm members that want to play. You know, and you could probably tell that by looking at the last year's worth of events. You know, how many are not PDG members that sign up for C tiers? Cuz there could be a market there for D tiers. I don't know. I'm a PDG member. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not really going to concern myself with it too much.
2: Yeah, I I guess I think of why aren't these people in here again, you can think of pros and cons on both sides. Some people will say, "Well, I really love this." because then someone who just shows up to a tournament can't, quote-unquote, sandbag. They'll they'll have to be a current member. Mm -hmm. They'll have to show up. Well, unfortunately, they could still sandbag, if if you think about it, because you could have a guy who's played literally for 10 years. He's the best guy in your entire city. He's just never signed up for a tournament. And if he becomes a PDGA member, and if he goes and signs up for his very first tournament, he won't have a rating yet, he or she, won't have a rating so they in theory could sandbag the <laughs> their very first event if they you know are checking all those boxes that's a pretty rare situation and even if they did great joe schmo just won ma3 uh a- and now has a 982 rating so joe schmo now will no longer be able to play an ma3 like it solves itself pretty quickly mm-hmm. so What I'm saying, though, is some people are really excited overall that this will force somebody to have a a membership, which will then eventually get them a rating, which then means, hey, when you're Joe Schmo and you won MA3 and you shot 2,000 rated rounds in the next week, when you show up to the next event and you weren't a member and you wanted to shoot either MA3 or MA2, now somebody could back it up and be like, whoa, 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 you're not eligible for those, whereas they could possibly. but. Again, how, how many people are gaming that system in the first place is my first question. Probably. Um,
1: I could probably count the number on. Like 10? On, um, 10 say, the country. On, on one or both my hands are on the country.
2: Okay. <laughs> and if they are, okay. but <sighs> Yeah. Now, at least, this will force everyone to then have a rating, have their name, have their rating. and And, more importantly, maybe, it provides a little bit of background to... Joe Schmo signs up for the tournament, plays in the tournament, and and we find out Joe Schmo maybe isn't really a legitimate, um, you know, I'll say good apple. Shows up, doesn't want to play by any of the rules, um, you know, does certain things that are very unbecoming and or against the rules. And now there's a there's an actual policy in place that Mm -hmm. is easily enforceable to say, hey, Joe Schmo got you know DQ'd or is no longer eligible or has now been suspended for six months or 12 months or whatever from PDGA play. Like, There's just more of a, of a trail and a little more officiality to all of that. So I, I guess those could be some of the other benefits, so to speak, as well, depending on how you want to look at it.
1: And going along with the more professionalization of C-Tiers, no longer can you mix divisions uh, with C-Tiers. Not that we probably saw that a lot, but it's not allowed. It is allowed in D tiers, but not allowed in C tiers. Anything on, goes at the D tier. Anything goes at the D tier. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> pace of play is going to be enforced by group now as well. If your group is going slow, it, it uh, they can put you on the clock. And there's a whole description of what on the clock is. Uh, if mm. you look at the... And again, these are not official changes. These are proposed changes. So, everybody just simmer down. Uh,
2: the so, other- what happens from here? Do you, do you know, like as they continue, I think I've seen a few feedback links offered mm-hmm. up because people have been very, very vocal about a lot of this, you know, both mm-hmm. for and against some of these proposed rule changes. Is, is it exactly that where they take feedback for X amount of days or weeks and then some of this gets implemented and some of it gets skipped? Or how does that work? I believe they're taking
1: feedback no. on it. And if if they'll probably have another meeting after a bunch of feedback is submitted and they will either finalize these and they will go into next year's rule book uh,
2: at the very end. And I'll post this also in the comments. It just says again, and this is in bold, email your comments and recommendations regarding the proposed rules changes below to rules dash feedback at PDGA.com by August 15th, 2023 where the replies will be read, considered and cataloged. Thank you for reading and thanks in advance for sharing your feedback. All right. I mean, there again mm-hmm. it's your opportunity like you can complain on the internet. You may or may not do that regardless, but take the steps hopefully in in a polite and professional manner whether you agree or disagree. I I and, and I'll go as far as saying even if you agree, rather than being silent about it, send the email. Say, hey, I love these changes. I love, I am all in favor of, of you know, this proposed, you know, s- rule change A, B, C, or D, or whatever. Send some feedback. And as I said, it'll be read, considered, and cataloged. Yep.
1: And the final PDGA I don't, I don't know change what more you want. is what we can dub another, maybe Steve Dodge rule. Last year for MVP, he wanted an aggregated. Playoff, which means you know three hole, mm. a three hole playoff, and
2: regardless of what happens on the first hole or the second hole, it's so on,
1: right? Correct. You 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 keep score for three holes, or two holes, or whatever the designated. This is now mm-hmm. allowed, but last year it wasn't. They could not get a last minute approval from the PDGA, I believe, uh, for MVP. And now it is in the rule books that it is uh, up to the tournament director. I'm assuming the same playoff rules apply. You need to notify everybody ahead of time. It needs to be blah blah blah. All that other good stuff. But it is now available and then after the set designated number of holes, it goes to then a sudden death playoff. So like Steve Dodge I think wanted to play 11718 last year. Mhm. And it makes a lot of sense because for a place like Maple Hill, hole 1 is great. It's a great hole, but for a playoff not everybody's walking down there to hole one in a little tiny green. Sure. And it makes more sense to finish it on hole 18. Now, granted, like we said, you could just play hole 18. But hole 18, again, I, I know this is the, with the way our players throw today with the forehand and backhand, it is a lefty favorable hole. So if you went up or forehand favorable, if you went up, if James Conrad is going up against Ricky Wysocki, I give the advantage to Ricky, who can just fling a forehand into that green where James has got to probably bend a, a backhand there or maybe lay up. It just there are advantages to being to to the hole for certain players. Having an aggregate helps reduce those advantages. Now you could get three straight lefty holes, and Chris Clemens would love it. Anything can happen depending on the course. You would hope that the TD has thought all this through if they're doing an aggregate uh, playoff, but. It also lets the event end on hole 18 because for Maple Hill, I believe the playoff hole has been hole one in the past. We've seen it hole one. I think we've seen it hole 18. I think we've seen both. Actually, uh, it,
2: it might be one last year. It might've been, wasn't it one then uh, one 18 or mm. one and 18 on repeat or something yeah, like I think, that. But at, at,
1: but either way now, because yeah, I mean, we you can guarantee think, like you said. that the playoff holes finishes in theory on 18. at least the aggregate portion of it. If it's a playoff, if it continues after that too bad, Um, especially with what we have these days with our spectators, the spectators want to see someone finishing up and the playoff holes don't always accommodate that. We we saw at the tour finale last year, um, everybody on 18, then uh, what happened? It was, it was, People were, were lining up in different spots after when it went to a playoff that it can get messy. It can get definitely messy uh, when you have a lot of spectators who want to see the final thing. So this is good in that aspect. Some events may not change, but I know for a fact MVP next year probably will. They might even this year, if they thought ahead of time and got a and got a PDGA exemption. My guess is that Steve probably did.
2: Well, so here's what I'll ask to the board. And yes, John Johnson, we see you, pal. You're just about to ban you. Um, What I'll ask to the board right now is just straw poll. Do you like the idea of an aggregate playoff? Or do we keep it? I'll, I'll use the term traditional in the sense or common that we continue with sudden death playoffs. So that's. That's the question, folks. Uh, I think I could probably even do a poll, but I'm not going to go that fancy. Just tell me uh, in the chat, do you like the idea of an aggregate playoff? Um, it, it it does feel so heartbreaking when you think, you know, I was there for the 2014 Worlds, and you're watching one of the greatest playoffs of all time between Macbeth and Wysocki, and I all I'm thinking is, like, don't let, like, a 10-foot spit through. Like, just, like, they, and they put on a show. They put on one of the greatest shows of all time uh, for the way that that went down, just as Barry and Kenny did at the USDGC when that went 10 holes. However, sometimes when crazy stuff happens, and we've talked you know extensively about spit outs and cut throughs and all that stuff in the last few podcasts, you just don't want to see something heartbreaking of that nature. Somebody can miss a putt, sure, a 30 or 40 footer or or, or whatever. But then you think of some of the the quirkier things that can happen and um, you just think, well, maybe an aggregate playoff, it it clearly doesn't, you know, mitigate or or erase or completely dismiss anything crazy from happening, but it may somewhat lighten um, something wild of that nature. I don't know. Um, I'm curious to know what people think of it as I'm looking at the chat. Three holes if tied uh, three holes. If still tied, then sudden death.
1: Correct. That's it. Yep. Which that, that is the standard policy, as of right now.
2: <laughs> and as Bob, as everyone keep, says,
1: this is great for majors. We don't want to see this at B and C tiers. B and C tiers, yeah, please, <laughs> please keep it sudden death.
2: Nobody wants. I don't th- know. Bob says, I think three holes at MVP is okay. Up to six holes at a C tier sounds terrible. Uh, I don't disagree with you. Uh, that. <laughs> You just imagine, like, it's a tiny C tier. I had a $30 entry. There's nine, you know, nine players in the field, and there's a three-way tie, and then they have to go and play like a four or five ball. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that would, uh, yeah, that would be uh, a little bit silly. Uh, <laughs> D tiers have to play another round for ties, uh, someone had suggested. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I
1: I, I like the just option. That. I know
2: it's called sudden death. I just, it's always been so heartbreaking to me to watch things unfold. And you look at a Coriolis, you know, who of course was out, no Mm -hmm. one's denying that, but out by, by a millimeter or, you know, or centimeter or less, which would be a millimeter, just barely out, you know, at Deglo last year, not saying he deserved to be in to then extend a playoff necessarily. Of course, you know, I mean, it still requires him to throw good shots as all playoffs would, but. Yeah, it, it it can get very heartbreaking out there. So I don't know. Uh yeah, interesting to see uh who will apply it, who wants to use it. And and then here's the big question as you as we were just talking about B and C tiers. Does it get overused? Does it become I, somehow does it wear itself out? You know, what if we have what if we just have five elite series events the rest of this year? And I I know I don't think they apply to this year, but let's just say we did all five of them come down to an aggregate playoff with three holes. Does that get exhausting? It depends does on that the holes. Really? Let's take it a step farther. Does that? Does, I, I I don't mean like physically exhausting. I just mean like it just does it hit different. And then take a step farther. What happens when, again, just logistically, FPO does it because FPO extends their, you know, that extends everything in the morning and you're on a tight turnaround and not that MPO is more important, but I'm just saying we have a tight turnaround usually from an FPO broadcast to conclude and then an MPO broadcast to start back up or to start up for the day. And if those ever reverse, you know, same scenario, but then you're, then you're looking, there's just logistically. Yeah. And my mind starts to really uh, run wild with things that could then happen from Mm -hmm. this. So I guess we'll see. Ultimately, Um, Dustin says, "I'm down for it. Playoffs are the most exciting thing in disc golf. Make it longer." Uh, And then Mike says, "Playoffs aren't that common. I'd say let those special special occasions play out."
1: Are playoffs exciting because it's sudden? Because right now we have sudden death, one and done. Like, does that does that raise it? So, is the excitement level lowered with an aggregate playoff where you're thinking, "Okay, cool." Kelvin just got two strokes in the first two holes. This last hole, Kelvin's got to take a five, and the other guy's got to get a birdie to win. Uh, like, Does that eliminate some of the excitement going into the third hole? It's, it's very possible.
2: Yeah, or I was just, I was, I was just going to use a crazy example. I think I had to Idlewild, right? Idlewild, the long par four, it's not crazy that somebody eagles that. You go into a playoff there, which we've seen a few, by the way. You go to a playoff there, hole one at Idlewild, Kyle Klein puts it all the way down there. He parks it. He he eagles it. Somebody hits uh, his competitor hits the 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 pedestal a couple times. Rollaways. Kyle's taken the two. The competitor he's playing against takes the five or the six. Uh, they you know and the, yeah and then you just think like okay well this feels kind of like it's done now
1: yeah and now I have to I sit through two more holes of of him mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> walking yeah, with it. Uh, I agree. I like the concept of the aggregate for more fairness, but it could definitely eliminate some of the excitement coming down to the final portion. You know, we'll see. We have to, we have to experiment that that scenario might not play out for a few years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, all interesting to see, as you were saying, what could happen. And I did get clarification last week when we were talking about the cut for the European open, I had stated that I didn't like that they didn't cut to the cash line, Mm -hmm. and then by the time we were done pandering around that conversation or wandering around within it, I had said I also realized that often at international events, they are essentially held to slightly different standards, and and maybe that's not, there's a different rule book, so to speak. We said that. that. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to reiterate. That was exactly the case. Uh, There was nothing nefarious or crazy or or whatever. It's just they were, in fact, uh, playing by the international guidelines and rules that are available to them. So I just wanted to make clear on that uh, as I got confirmation of it as well shortly after the show. So it it was worth, in my opinion, to follow up and make sure everybody knows that. Uh, Also, I mean, if we're doing PSAs, another thing that I just got released yesterday, the day before... Bonus footage from the Masters Worlds. It's definitely worth talking about in the sense that it was, yes, it was the MP40 chase card. MP40 lead card was out. This chase card did some work. uh, And it gives you really just another taste, and it gives you four more players to watch. Martin Hendel from Canada, who was second last year, uh, runner-up to Joe Revere. He's on the card. Dave Felberg was on the card. Steve Rico was on the card. And then a Flagstaff local, Joshua Johnson uh was on the card so i think i added up nearly 350 wins among those four guys Uh, yeah so some great golf some couple of legends of the game especially in rico and felberg so i wanted everybody to know that's out there and that is available to watch as well it's on my channel so if you if you've been clamoring for that mp40 action (laughs) there's more on the channel one other thing that
1: could have Bigger repercussions with the rule changes that I I, I guess we got to talk about it every week. It feels like Um, a tiers are required to offer MPO and FPO divisions, which means they are, um, as we know, the uh, transgender athletes are allowed to play in a tiers. A tournament director cannot cut out the FPO division for any particular reason, assuming it's an A-tier. So that's just... I don't think we necessarily saw much of that, but it is maybe heading off uh, an issue that could happen in the future. So just yeah, it, it be, be aware. It definitely
2: has happened, and I know there's at least two events I've, I've seen pu- publicly post mm-hmm. about it. I know we were talking about one in uh in Kentucky I yep. feel like it was that an A tier I know few months ago. i know it was
1: a it was a state championship I couldn't remember if it was an A tier or not
2: I I that I do not recall uh you might be right that it wasn't but I I think it was um and then I think I also saw another event recently post saying that they're not planning on offering FPO uh as their you know someone as as their response uh worried about lawsuits and other things um, so that's an interesting I hate that I keep saying the word interesting on it, but um, we'll see how that's going to unfold and what that's going to mean, if anything, for competitors, you know, moving into 2024, when they, uh, these events are, uh, they, they, as in those events are all required to be offering those divisions. And then I, I feel like there was even an additional step that I saw someone posting about needing to offer the, the, Quote unquote, highest level of amateur division as well at certain events. Well, did I read that correctly?
1: Pro only A tiers must offer MPO and FPO. AM only A tiers must offer MA1, FA1. Pro AM A tiers must offer MPO, FPO, MA1, FA1. So, what we just talked about. Masters only A tiers must offer MP and FP40, MA40 and FA40. Gender based A tiers must offer FPO and FA1. So, if it's a women's only event, you have, to, which, you have to offer FPO and FA1, and junior-only A-tiers must offer MJ18 and FJ18, which so if more or less go, if, is your highest amount, and anyone under the age of 18 can play that. So you, you can't—what they're doing is they're, they're stopping—they're preventing someone from saying, oh, I know—and I know, and I know sounds silly, maybe it sounds silly, but there's a transgender athlete who's 17— I'm not going to offer the 18 under. I'm only going to offer 16 and under, and then they can't play. By offering the highest level, everybody under that can play legitimate has a legitimate division to play in. So, if you want to call that the highest tier, so to speak, that is one way to put it, uh, or the highest uh, division at these tiers. That is one way to put it. I think this 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 is a good change. This forces the hand of TDs if they want to run an A tier, which is a PDGA prestigious event? Then you need to offer all divisions. You need to you need to have not all divisions. You need to offer a division for all people. We'll say that.
2: Well, here here's I think the one that was brought to my attention was specifically in reference to if you could reread the PDGA A tier for Masters divisions, saying that if you you have to offer. MA-40 and FA-40 mm-hmm. on a pro-masters A-tier?
1: On a masters-only A-tier. Uh, okay. You have to offer MP-40, ha- FP-40, MA-40, and FA-40. Because we know if you're, if you're 50 years old, you can play in the 40-year-old division. So by offering the 40-year-old division, everybody has a division that they can technically play in
2: and here's my point what i what i don't necessarily understand about that is what if you want to run an a pro only masters a tier role so just now there there's no such thing because you're you're essentially forced to offer fa40 and ma40 as well per that what you just read am i reading that correctly
1: technically that could be that's that's what it says masters only a tiers must offer mp f p ma and fa 40 so yeah i mean that mm. maybe that's a designation maybe they've thought of that maybe it's something that they hadn't thought of if you only wanted to offer if you only wanted a pro only masters event for instance like what Cali or an and AM only, yeah or an am only if that's something if that's something See, Cali. I don't, I don't know that i like that I'm with you. I can understand why you wouldn't necessarily like that. Um, Maybe they, maybe you have an email, Terry, you know, the email to send your complaint to at the very bottom. I would maybe ask Johnny. It's not a complaint. (laughs) It's feedback. You're right. I'm I'm sorry.
2: I'll admit I'll, I'll I'll, uh, let me be really transparent here. This was brought to my attention because I saw a post by J Ray, Jonathan, uh, who, who posts, who runs events all over one of his most successful and well-attended and well-known events that he's part of every year is the Masters at Bud Hill. Um, they've done a phenomenal job with it. Nothing but hats off from everything I've ever seen, read, heard about it. When he made a post and it kind of brought this to light, brought it to my attention, that's where I saw it, I was thinking, and he said, you know, we we typically don't, I don't think they typically offer those divisions. Um, and I think about course constraints. I think about just overall divisional constraints. If you've built up a, a very, very successful pro only or am only, whatever, whatever it is, when you build up a very successful event and that's kind of the the niche market that you're in. And now it sounds as if, if I'm again, reading this correctly or hearing this correctly, it sounds as if you're then essentially forced to offer these other divisions that maybe are outside of the scope because you and I both know, uh, a course that an MP40 player is on versus a course that is appropriate for an FA40 player can be wildly different you're talking about 200 player rating points is this something maybe more
1: maybe come next year or maybe later this year we'll we'll bring someone from the PDJ on is this something that the PDJ wants do they want to look at their A tiers and say no A tiers shouldn't be just this or just that? We want them. It, it, they have no problem if you do this and you call it a B tier. Sure, all the same that, added that, cash that could be part like, of the
2: philosophy. Sure, it,
1: it could be some of the philosophy. As I said, that they're they're looking at the, these A tiers as specific events that are that they want to make sure are inclusive of all. Maybe there, there's going to be new requirements for A tiers as far as even though they're not listed in here. Uh, no, and, I don't
2: I don't think they're changing them for 2024 right now. I think I, I did I see that. I don't believe as well. I don't believe they are either, the, but yeah.
1: So, it's it's an uh, interesting yeah, yeah, as you maybe they can yeah, maybe you, they can uh push that out into Leon rather than just label that as just D, maybe make that D and E and then push everything down and say, you know, pro only eight masters A tiers must offer MP40, AM only must offer And then masters only because you could have. I can see a reason to have a pro only masters event or an am only masters event. I 100% could see that as a reason and make it an A tier. I don't think you necessarily need to offer amateur division. You shouldn't be forced to offer amateur divisions unless the PDGA is moving that way. If they truly say no, if you're running an A tier, you need to offer those divisions. But They're not doing it in pro because you can do a pro only A tier with MPO and FPO and you can do an AM only A tier. So I don't know why you couldn't do a masters only with pro or AM. So maybe this will get updated. Hopefully PGA. we know that we've got some people that we know at the PDGA.
2: Well, as you said, and I had originally thought about it even prior to tonight's show that yes, we'll soon have a representative of the PDGA on There's obviously a ton of different people we could pull from depending Uh, especially the area of expertise and or what we're largely trying to address. But uh, we'll probably have some PDGA representation on the show here sometime soon. And if we have a list of questions, we can add to it. So
1: Masters matter, PDGA. Masters
2: matter, all right? (laughs) Uh, Uh, He knows more than me. I mean, all that content that you guys are not all consuming on my channel, but you should go out there and get it
1: don't beg for views it's beneath you (laughs) (laughs) it's
2: very unbecoming of me (laughs) uh i don't know i don't know i I think they should be watching all right uh johnny i don't have anything else here for our regular show i know it's a little bit on the short side but i think that's all right i'm a little bit on the short side Uh, i know you got anything else we need to discuss here on the
1: regular show I don't believe there is. I think we kind of covered all the major things that happened this past week. It's it was kind of a slow week, as we know a lot of players traveling back from Europe, just getting to where they need to go, getting their vehicles again to get to Ledgestone so that they can or you know, Peoria area, so they can get ready for our next run of A tier events. Or I'm sorry, Elite Series events, not A tier. We were talking about A tier for so much. Elite plus playoffs. Elite. Well, I'm just thinking, yeah, I mean, I suppose because Ledgestone is, yeah, we have Ledgestone and Diglo are the next, well, Deagle is a playoff event, so this is the last Elite Plus event, and then we go to But next week's just Elite. Next week's just Elite, and then it's Elite Playoff. Playoff? I, I don't know how
2: anybody would be confused.
1: And don't forget Unified.
2: That as well. Uh, And because somebody also brought it up since we did kind of skip over a bunch of the other A tiers that were taking place, uh, certainly of note, uh, congratulations, none other than Luke Humphreys taking it down over there at Yarva. And I hope that everyone I'll admit I have not played Yarva. Uh, I, I don't believe I can continue to call myself the disc golf guy without getting to one of the greatest courses of all time, as many have called it, but Luke Humphrey's your champion over there at the Yarva Open powered by Prodigy. He took down his teammate and Isaac Robinson. He took him down by 3. So, congrats to Luke. Certainly a very special feather in your cap getting a win anywhere is great, getting an international win is great. Getting an international win at one of the most highly respected and regarded courses in the world, I think is even that much cooler. So, it it is certainly worth noting. So congratulations. And on the FPO side of things, I am just looking for the first time. I apologize. Olivia Kinstadt or Kinstadt? Kinstadt is your was your champion there. She won by four over Sophie and Anna Lee. And Olivia. then so.
1: moving over to the Alan Open presented by Discanio. we'll just briefly talk about uh, Miro Reinenen wins this shooting 3400. I believe he's unsponsored. I don't believe he has a major disc manufacturer as a sponsor. He beat Nicholas Antela and Eagle McMahon and Oyvind James. Uh, that's. You think he needs a sponsorship? I'm just saying, you rack up, of uh, he's a 1006 rated player who just shot 1,053, 1,059, and 1,071 to beat arguably two of the top 10 players in the world <laughs> with Antela and Eagle McMahon. Some disc manufacturer may want to ring a ding ding that guy just, you know, <laughs> I don't know, just make it known. And then over on the, as FTO they're saying on side, the board, a
2: 19 year old that went bogey free to beat him <laughs> unsponsored. I mean, you, you add up uh yeah. Uh, uh, what are the odds of all that? Pretty incredible. <laughs>
1: well, over in Europe, probably pretty good these days. A, a really yeah. young guy who just shows up out of nowhere unsponsored and decides to beat everybody. I would give that a higher percentage over in Europe than here in the United States. The FPO field, uh, Silva Saarinen wins this in a playoff over Haiti Liney. Did I pronounce it that time right, Terry? Uh, uh, Haiti li- Line. Haiti, right? Haiti Line. Haiti Line. Haiti
2: Line. Yep. Uh,
1: they that's, both that's shot nine under me. par, and to go to a playoff where Silva takes this one down. And third place was Yeni Karpinen. So congratulations to Silva, who wins again. She's dominant over... She's, I believe, the first player to win four or five elite... Or, I'm sorry, Euro Tour events since Kristen Tatar did it. Yeah. A
2: couple years ago. So that's a pretty good pedigree I haven't had a chance to watch a ton of her play, but the other night when I was doing some editing, I had that event on, and I, I... I watched, I want to say the first like six holes. I think she went four under in the first five. I'm like, holy shit. Like she's, she was unstoppable. I mean, she was throwing great drives, great putts. And I know I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm late to the party and stating all this, but mm-hmm. it was one of my first times really getting a chance to watch her golf. And I was just like, and you know, and very European, of course, in that, you know, she can a big long putt, and it was no big deal. Just uh business as usual. Retrieved it calmly, peacefully. Just on to the next one. She's good. Make another good putt.
1: She's not quite great yet, but she's making her way there. She's only 936 rated, but she's been shooting a lot in nine fifty, nine sixty 950, 960 rated rounds. So I think we're going to see her uh, PDGA rating start to jump up or hop up or crawl up. Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be improving over the next uh, couple months. And she might be someone who... Maybe next year, if she keeps this up, it might be to her maybe in best financial interest. Who knows? Depending on sponsorship, to come over to play the pro tour events, we'll see.
2: Yeah, she's been here for a few events yeah. earlier in the year, and she Correct. did not, you know, wow, wow no. us as much as she has, you know, on her home turf, so to speak. But no, it was uh, I think might her first all be part time part of this learning process. Yeah, exactly.
1: It was her first time in the U.S., and she took twenty uh, first at Music City Open. Twelfth at the Blue Ridge, thirty second at the Champions Cup, and twenty first in Jonesboro. When then she then she hopped over to Europe and she started taking fifth, third, third, first, 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 third. So she's getting better. Um, we've seen that with a couple of Europeans, not just the women, but the men as well. The first time they come over to the U.S., it's it's a whole it's a whole change. It takes a while to uh, accommodate to get accommodations. It takes a while to understand the lifestyle of touring the united states which is a much bigger area than i think what they're used to in europe these you know four to eight to 12 hour drives that you have to undertake and a pretty quick turnaround so it can be a lifestyle change that takes a while to get used to so we'll see maybe maybe she's gonna look at the euro tour events which are improving and the ept and say hey i i can just make money here (laughs) we're gonna let yeah Kristen Tatar, let me help pay for a plane ticket. You go over there. I will stay yeah. here and uh and, and, and handle things at home i'll be the I'll be the Estonian wonder here
2: yeah well it uh it will be very exciting to see it all play out and where she picks and chooses which event she's at and uh her, you know basically the rest of her career path uh, in that sense. Uh, lots of options on the all table.: right. I'm sorry Silva is, right. Silva is
1: from Finland, so my bad.
2: All right. Well, with that, I think we can call it on our regular show here. Uh, We will stand down for just a few minutes, and then we'll come back. We'll have the after show. In the after show, we always have a giveaway. I've been sending some additional giveaways out over the last few weeks. Hopefully, uh, if you've been waiting for some, they have been showing up. I know one or two of them that went international uh, in the last two weeks. Well, those are going to take a little bit longer, but they know that they're on the way, so that's good as well. I know one went to Australia, and I believe the other one went to uh, Germany or Finland recently. Either way, they are uh, on their long journey for uh, some of our favorite Smashies from around the world. So with that, we're going to call it. This is the regular show. We're so thankful for you guys joining us here tonight. Talk a little bit about what's going on. Also, uh, what we'll see here for Ledgestone. Next week, we'll likely have a Ledgestone winner or two on to talk a little bit more. Congratulations to our champions over at the elite event this last weekend, the Mid-America Open. Of course, uh, Owen Scoggins getting the work done. And then in overtime, uh, we see the incredible effort by Andrew Presnell holding back the superstar, Yannon Burr. So congrats to them yet again. That's everything from me here in the Peoria area. Johnny V's there in Milwaukee. We'll have a quick break, and we'll be back for the after show. We'll see you then when you step inside the Smashbox.
1: Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox tv.